today is unlike any other podcast. Today, I'm talking to you, rebels who want to make more money doing more of what you want and want more freedom. This is Jen on the Northwest Corner Podcast. We're off to a flying start, Madam Producer. I know. Started recording right at seven. It, it must be our guest's influence. <laughs> we're she's, all professional. Yeah, she's brought a <laughs> level of professionalism to this show that we're not accustomed to having. <laughs> she showed up 15 minutes early. I know. She didn't come armed with a joke, but she rallied <laughs> and had a pretty good one, too. I was yeah. impressed. All right, with the uh, Northwest Corner Rock and Roll M&M's Bowl is no longer, so uh, what are we on now? The Northwest Corner Rock and Roll Dove Chocolates Bowl? See, we're all fancy. We have a professional in the house. We got the fancy chocolates. All right, look, when I'm sitting here talking about the bowl of of Northwest Corner Rock and Roll Dove Chocolates, (laughs) I'm not talking about it in an academic sense. I'm talking about it in a a requesting sense. Ah, As in somebody hand me a chocolate here. Oh, you have to choose. It's assorted chocolates today. You got the caramel. Or they? Oh, I got a caramel one. It's a grab. Oh, bag. sweet. I know. Jen, would you like one? I'm good. Thanks. Help yourself. <laughs> Skinny little thing. Say, so I'm gonna eat all of it. Well, we told the band last week to help yourself, and they did. There were exactly 20 left, and I ate them watching The Sopranos. You watch The Sopranos? I am right now. Oh, why was I not aware of this? Because you're in bed. Well, that's true. I do have to get up at zero butt crack thirty every morning. Yeah. And I don't. Live from the Sugar Tip Moonshine Distillery Studios at the House of Kitchen, it's the Northwest Corner Podcast. I suddenly had visions of Kermit going, welcome to the Northwest Corner Podcast, yay! <laughs> oh yeah, I was going to do that the other week, wasn't I? It's the Northwest Corner Podcast, yay! <laughs> you need to do better. <laughs> so, guess what I did the other weekend? I know what you did. You bought a new baby. Before that. No. <laughs> no. It, okay, well, all right. No, no, no. We got to back up here. People are going to get way the wrong. Imp- you really Whoa. have to choose your, your phrases better. Rewind. When she said bought a new baby, <laughs> she didn't mean a human being. I acquired a new motorcycle. Well, those who know you knew right away what she was talking about for the rest of you. Yeah. For yeah. the for the six other people who listen to this show. <laughs> What she meant to say was, I recently acquired another motorcycle. But that's not what I was going to say. With the old motorcycle, before I bought my new baby. What happened? Uh, I did a Saddle Sore 1000. Successfully, I might add. I've got my official certified certificate of certification and everything. And did I tell you what a Saddle Sore 1000 was? I think you told talk to us about that last podcast did i you said you're going to going to. okay well i did it i left here about 3 30 on a saturday morning and it was 55 degrees outside yeah and i headed for mobile alabama actually a little town southwest of there called bayou labattery now why does alabama. that sound familiar 
Well, I'll tell you why, Madam Producer. She actually knows the answer. She's just Ed McManning it yes, for I me. Yes, I am. Bayou Labattery, in addition to being on the uh, Gulf of Mexico and uh, approximately 520 miles away from here, is the home of the fictional character Benjamin Buford Bubba Blue from Forrest Gump. Yep. It really does exist. That's yeah, it really real does exist. And it, it really is a fishing town. They really do have a lot of shrimp and boats they do. tied up down there. And it was 520 miles away, so why not? So uh, when I left here at 3.30 in the morning, it was about 55 degrees outside. It was lovely. I got down to Atlanta. It dropped to 34. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, stayed cold until I got to Montgomery about three hours later and uh, made it all the way down to Bayou Labattery, took pictures in front of a sign that said Bayou Labattery and uh, went over a drawbridge and everything. And then turned around and went to the USS Alabama Battleship Memorial Park, took a picture in front of the F4 on a pedestal that they have in front there. Because they charge you like $135 to park there. Okay, it's ridiculous. <laughs> and then turn around and came back. 1,068 miles in 19 hours and 29 minutes. Or 20, 26 minutes. Yeah. Under 20 hours is, is the point. Yeah. And <clears throat> I sent that information in to the Iron Butt Association. That's a real thing, by the way. I'm not making that up. <laughs> it sounds hokey, but it's real. <laughs> and uh, I had to document the snot out of it. Yeah. I had to do ride logs and pictures and Receipts. three by five color glossy photos with circles and arrows and a paragraph on the back of each one. Oh, my. And turn everything into the IBA in Napierville, Illinois, and they confirmed everything that I did. I had GPS position data and everything, and I just got my special packet of stuff today. Today, so my license plate frame is is on the hind end of my new baby, the motorcycle, the iron butt. Yeah, the, the yeah the Iron <laughs> Butt Association world's toughest motorcycle riders license plate frame. So nobody listening to this show gives a rat's patoot about this <laughs> except me. But I'm very proud of it. No one else in this show has done it. Audience, were you impressed by that? Of course they are. They're impressed with everything you do. Well, of course. <laughs> And they my oh and uh, I you know we've we've let Vanessa take the last several weeks off. We've got uh, Miss Ashley Morgan Witt in the studio here with us today, looking very cute. I loved your hat when you came in. That, She's looking very stylish. It looked like the hat that Julia Roberts wore in Pretty Woman when they went oh, to the yeah. horse races. Oh yeah, that's right. It did yeah. yeah. And uh, to her left is Madam Producer, Hello. Uh, my bride Heather. And to Heather's left is Michelle Champion, our silent majority. Hi. <laughs> As if to illustrate the point. Special guest Jen Ailey came all the way down from uh, Asheville, North, or Weaverville, North Carolina, to see us today. Say hi to everybody, Jen. Hello. And, oh, and uh, one person left. Vanessa, dear. And now, here's your host. See, I've been giving her time off for about the last month, but she needs to earn her keep now. It's spring break. Yeah. yeah. So spring break's over, Vanessa. Time to get back to work. <laughs> All right. So any other old business 
Not Remember business, in the proper northwest corner uh, parliamentary procedure, first we discuss old business, then we discuss new business. <laughs> so have we covered everything? Old business, yes. All right. Well, then let's get right to it. We have a lady who I met here, um, oh, it must have been about a couple months ago now, something like that. I was visiting a friend of the show, Officer Hops. And uh, we're taking a little tour of of her of her hometown there, and uh, happened to come across a shop and met the the very nice, the very lovely Jen Ailey from Jen Ailey Coaching, who is in the House of Kitchen with us today, and struck up a, a lovely conversation. Uh, Jen's a, a wonderful conversationalist. Her fiance, boyfriend. Boyfriend? boyfriend is an astonishingly good cell phone photographer. <laughs> almost, yeah, okay. almost ridiculously so. She showed it's me some true. pictures that he took of his... If we were renting a Corvette. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And it was like a social media shot where behind the Corvette were two big square, like, you know, state park trash cans. On the other side were like a bunch of porta-potties. But all you could actually see was the Corvette mm-hmm. in its glory with the sunset in the background. Just yeah. like good social media pictures. Yeah, and she made sure to point out to me that the the porta potty and the trash cans were just outside the frame <laughs> too. So that was a sweet looking Corvette too. That was fun. how was that? It was a blast. Yeah? yeah, I'm not. I have. I used to not be a car person, but now I'm a car person because of that Corvette. Um, because of his influence and because of that Corvette. <laughs> okay. So when you say now you're a car person, what does that mean to you? It means I'm hyper aware. I mean, I drive a Prius. Okay. So I'm not really uh, look, a car I, person. You brought that up. I wasn't going to say a thing about it. <laughs> I, I'm a Prius, I'm a Prius driver, so I'm not really a car person and people who are car people make fun of me because I drive a Prius. But I notice cars. I'm hyper aware of cars. Jen, can I give yeah. you? Can I let you? Everybody makes fun of you. Not not just people driving other cars. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. The Prius people do not make fun of me. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So we've established that you drive a terrible car. Now, what does this have to do with you oh suddenly being a car person? My car is the perfect color, by the way. It is. Did you see that? It's a light blue. I yeah, was it like not, Robin's egg nodding. blue or something. It's actually sea glass pearl. Oh, oh my! <laughs> oh, I'm I'm sorry. Fancy. I'm sorry. Here I said something as pedestrian as Robin's, Robin's egg, egg blue. blue. <laughs> I'm sorry. What 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 was it again? It was sea glass pearl. Sea glass pearl. Right, You're trying to kill right, those poor right. Robin's eggs. You have to. You? We have to say it with your with your best Chester bottom tooth impression. <laughs> exactly. Sea glass pearl. <laughs> That's perfect. Well, my favorite color for a car is is a Model T color. What is Black? It? Yes. <laughs> that was what the Model T was famous for. You can have it in any, any color you want as long as it's black. <laughs> so, okay, so you have a terrible car in a very <laughs> highfalutin color. <laughs> so this makes you a car person because I'm still waiting for the part of the story where you become a car person. So the, the, the disconnect between me becoming a car person. See, I became a car person after I had the Prius. 
Okay. So there's a delay in me actually. Because well, so yes, because if to, you were a car to, person before you had the Prius, you would not have Prius. bought the Prius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she admits her failure. It's all good. I still, I'm I still, still like you. With the Prius, <laughs> I still like you. You're okay. <laughs> but now my boyfriend is a car person. He's, mm-hmm. he's about to buy a Corvette actually because oh. of that Corvette we drove. Oh, like, really? Yeah. Oh. So, um, yeah, he's going to drive, uh, Which, fly to a different state. So, to so go it look sounds at one like and... you're saying he's about to own a Corvette. Mm-hmm. You're about to drive a Corvette. I'm about to drive and ride in a Corvette. Yes. Mm, yes. Okay. And okay. I'll take it. You know. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now, uh, do you know what a tri-power V8 is? I know what a V8 is. You don't know what a tri-power oh, V8 is? Oh, that's where you can yet? change the different... No, you're you know. not a car person. Yeah. yeah the, the education will come. Yeah, she's well, getting there. I mean, it, it, the first step in in recovery is admitting <laughs> that you have a problem. <laughs> And we've already covered that with the Prius in... And what color was it again? Sea glass pearl. Sea glass pearl. <laughs> it, <laughs> it does sound like the boyfriend is a keeper. Oh, he is. Okay. okay. Not Good. just because of the car thing. <laughs> yeah. Although all that's right. a good start. <laughs> all right. All right. All right, we'll we'll give Jenna uh, what's a decent passing grade. We'll give her a C. She's got a solid C. What are you grading? Yeah, I was well, you you haven't quite car color made the... A plus. <laughs> Is gas mileage A plus? <laughs> car color A plus. Car model F. Oh, right in between there I is see. a C. <laughs> I was about to say, is it high school grading or college grading? Good point. It's the Northwest Corner sliding academic scale. <laughs> it's based on my mood at the moment. And right now you're scooting for a B minus. I was about to say, how oh, much dear. do I do pay you? Uh, where's, <laughs> where's, that, where's my coffee? Not here yet. Have you made a trip down to what, what was it, West End? If this was what, what did we say, points, West End? Both of them would be in so much trouble. What did we say, West End Coffee? Yes. Finest coffee in Greenville? That's where Rob Seal and his hair goes and buys his freshly unground beans and <laughs> yes. no roast, unroasted he, beans. Yeah, his very green himself. beans. Yes, his, his very, very green, green beans, beans <laughs> and roasts them himself in his own home roaster. Wow. That's West End Coffee, Ashley. Do hey, you, need Rob. To, you need a second to punch <laughs> that into Google Maps there so you know where to go oh, get I'm my coffee? Oh, I'm not using Google anymore. No? Nope. What are you using? Not bad. Apple Duck, Maps? No, DuckDuckGo. What the heck is that? It's a browser. It's a browser. Is it really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why do I not know this? It's more politically correct browser. Oh, God. As Prius <laughs> owners know this kind of stuff. <laughs> Suddenly, why am I not surprised that Jen knows this? I'm from Asheville, you guys. Hello. <laughs> okay. So it has. Okay, so you've, so you've found it on... What duck? Quit holding it behind the recorder. <laughs> Can you see? So, so you found it on that weirdo browser of yours. Now the question is: Are you actually going to go there and get me my coffee? Sure, you want to come with me? Right this second? No. <laughs> hey, this, this weekend, perhaps. Oh, hey, there you go. I have to babysit my friend's dog. He can go to when cat and cat. Okay. Well, they cat can come, can, too. Oh, the cat can go? We'll take Jen's car. <laughs> <laughs> that way, nobody will mind if the interior gets shed on. Oh, man. And that's shed, I said, S-H-E-D. 
I have to ask my friend if her dog would like to go. All right. Well, you still owe me <laughs> coffee. I'm I'm still waiting. She's a the dog's kind of empty, so we can't really walk her a lot. Oh, okay. Stroller. All right. So we're we're ignoring our lovely guest here, and she didn't come to listen to me talk about coffee. Fascinating, or her card. Fascinating as I know those topics are for you, though. We're really here to talk all about Miss Jennifer. Yeah, but now, can I call her Doctor Jen? Why? No. Oh man, I am Jen. Though. I go by Jen. So it's yeah. It, that kind of makes me think that you're like an '80s cartoon rock star because I go by Jen. Yeah. Like the old Jim. Jim and the Jim. Like the Yeah, I know. Jim. It was like that. Yes, Jim. She was truly outrageous. She truly, was truly, truly she outrageous. Was. But not that recent movie. No. No. That, that one's no, tough. The original. No, but I, I like it. You can just go by Jen. She can the, have, she's she one can word, have the, the woman, the, the one myth, word the legend. Name. Yeah. Madonna, Cher, Oprah. Jen. Jen. <laughs> There we go. I like it. I like it. I like it. Okay. Okay. So, Jen, go ahead and tell everybody, you are Jen Ailey coaching mm -hmm. officially. Okay. Now, now, what is that? You yes. coach a football team? I do not at this point. You never know. Okay. You know? Well, you're, you're going to be a car person here soon, so you're going to need to know some ancillary things too, football and baseball <laughs> and basketball. That's too far. <laughs> and you have to know how to open a beer bottle with your teeth. And I'm 20 years past that. Okay. Yeah. So what is Jen Ailey coaching? Now, I know what it is. Absolutely. But for all of the people in Podcastville, and I'm the mayor of Podcastville, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. Go ahead and explain to them what is Jen Ailey coaching. Great. So um, Jen Ailey coaching is a practice where I help creative entrepreneurs to create more money and uh, thrive in business. Okay. When you say creative entrepreneurs, you mean... Artistically creative entrepreneurs or technologically creative entrepreneurs? There, or There are a lot of actual like creative type people. So a lot of uh, craft people, artists, and, but also businesses that are outside the box. So they are um, like, you know, businesses that don't really have another coach for their genre. So people who are doing things that are really unique. For example, I have a, a client who's a pet detective right now. No kidding. Isn't that amazing? Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a real sweet. life pet detective. The only thing that could make that story better is if the guy's name actually was Ace. Oh, well, it's a woman. She the only thing that could make this story better is if her name was Ace. <laughs> She's oh, also man. a yoga teacher. Does that count? She's a what? A yoga teacher. A yoga teacher? Mm -hmm. He did a lot of yoga-like stuff, so who cares as long as she's okay, a pet detective. Okay, so you have a pet detective. <laughs> yeah, so so a lot of my clients are are people who are doing things that are um, not traditional business, and they they haven't really had a lot of business training, and they're people who are more right brain than left brain, so they're more creative, and they um, they're not as analytical as some business people who choose to go into business. They're more following their heart, so that they can do what they love and contribute in a way that's meaningful to them. Okay. So your role in this is what exactly? You're, you're yeah. not helping them to be more creative. No. What is your role? Yeah. So, um, so that role is coaching and consulting. It's combination. So I've heard coaching described as, um, so coaching versus consulting, 
this is a, and versus a therapist, and I'll just use this metaphor. So okay. if somebody wants to fly a plane, the therapist can help them overcome their fear of flying. The consultant can help them prepare for the flight, understand what they need to have, figure out what kind of plane they want, all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And the coach is there like helping them make it actually happen like along the way. Okay. Um, And also I've heard a coach like a stage coach helping somebody get from point A to point B. So you're coaching with an emphasis on helping them develop their artistic craft or some other aspect of what they're doing so the way i look at it is that they have something they're bringing to the world Mm -hmm. so they they have like so i'm a jewelry designer i can help a jewelry 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 designer um and they have a business alongside that um so basically i'm helping them with the business side of things people usually have done a lot of training and research about their craft or the thing that they're doing and they feel really confident in that to Mm -hmm. a certain degree if they're doing a business but where they feel where people typically don't have confidence is the business side of things. And that's a combination of business, um, their perception of business, their marketing skills their sales skills and, and how authentic those are for that person. Because a lot of times um, there's all these things in people's heads around money, sales, marketing. Those are all bad words. So I help people reframe those things and use different language even to empower them to be able to um, utilize those things effectively so they can put their work out into the world. Okay, so your your job as a coach then is, is to help creative people monetize their creativity. Yes. Basically, mm-hmm. and turn it into something that's financially sustainable for them. Yes. Okay, now you mentioned a minute ago that... Uh, Profit, business, that these are four-letter words to <laughs> creative people. Why do you think that is? Where's that disconnect, and, and why do you need to reframe that for people? Well, this is my story, too. So when I was in college, I was an English major with a writing emphasis with art and history minors. So I was as far from the business department as you could possibly get, um, taking minimal math and science, everything. So I was like all right-brained. Um, and so when I started learning business, um, I was clueless and I first started as a coach in 2003 and I thought I was just going to have this coaching practice and just go out and get all these clients and it didn't happen that way. Um, and so I learned a lot the hard way and I got a lot of training, um, of how to do all this stuff and how to reframe it from a company in California called Thrive Academy that specializes in helping holistic practitioners in business who are a similar market to who I help. And I'll often help those as well. Um, and so what was your question? Why do creative people mm-hmm. tend to look at words like business and profit as being negative things? Where does that association come I from? I think that they're so um, following their heart and they are so passionate about what they are doing that it's challenging sometimes to... Um, associate money with it so it's it's easier kind of harsh in the mellow so to speak well and there's this whole starving artist thing that happens and so the starving artist myth or archetype for example is is perpetuating that and it's self-perpetuating it's like it's more acceptable in some ways in some culture some circles of artists even to be the starving artist and to be self-deprecating and all those kinds of things than it is to actually succeed 
And there's there's voices in, I believe, there's lots of voices in all of our heads. And one of the voices in a lot of people's heads who are following their heart in business is that um, if I make money, it's, it's bad, or I'll become evil, or I'll become greedy, or rich people are evil, or all those kinds of things. And the truth is, money is a freaking tool, just like a hammer. So mm -hmm. you can like build something with it, or you can hurt somebody with it. And money is the same way. And in my mission is to help more people who are pure of heart, who love what they're doing, and who want to contribute in beautiful ways to make more money, because I believe we'll do more good things with it. Okay. So do you think that there's a little bit... My observation is that there's there's kind of a, a quiet prevailing mindset among artist types that the only good art comes from suffering, mm -hmm. that it, it has to come from places of, of pain or discomfort or, you know, rejection or, or things like that. Do you think that's part of what underpins that mindset of, of viewing business and money and things as bad because, that goes against the whole ethos of art coming from suffering? Um, I think that that's not so true in the craft world and some, some of the fine art world. Um, but I think there in music, I think that's especially true. People like, you know, and some amazing music comes out of amazing suffering. Um, it doesn't mean you can't make money from your amazing suffering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Alanis Morissette would have a couple things Absolutely. to say about oh, this. Yeah. yeah, she stops suffering. She stops making music, so she's no longer suffering. But she's definitely okay now. <laughs> so how? So you said part of your job is to reframe that mm -hmm. perception. So how do you go about doing that? What, what does yeah. that process look like to get somebody from? money is evil to money is okay if not necessary. Yeah. That's a, a pretty big distance between point A and point Z. How do you start to reframe that? Yeah. Um, it really depends on where the person is coming from. So really what I do with people is at the beginning of our relationship, I help see where they are so that, you know, where you are on the map, you know, like the you are here button for them and where they want to go. And so then I can figure out from there, like what the, what the, the route's going to be, you know? So if, um, if someone has the money is evil thing, but they, they want to make more money, um, I help them override that voice of money is evil with their vision and what they want to contribute. And that also ties into sales and marketing, um, because, you know, People think marketing is bad or they like resist marketing or resist sales. But the truth is that if it's something that's good for people and you are, you know, you're, you're, you're selfish because you're not marketing and doing sales because you're not putting out there the impact that you can have. And, you know, I had this one client one time who uh, we were in an in-person consultation and she was showing me her art and I was just looking at it on her phone and I was crying because it was freaking amazing. And I was just, you know, and I had another client near the same time who said, I feel like my work is like a used car at the end of a dead end street that's like kind of hidden behind a barn <laughs> and nobody's <laughs> buying it, you know? And so it's like how to, how to let people see. Well, that sounds like a self-esteem problem more than a marketing problem. And that can be a big issue. Self-esteem, self-worth, deserving, all those things are a part of, a part of that because, Money is really a bottom line thing and a base thing. And so 
Um, to, so dealing with those things is part of the process. And then helping people see that if they, um, and, and it, it's a process. It's not like I just switched to, you know, flip a switch, you know? Well, it sounds like you're having to play the role of, uh, of a clinical psychologist, really, um, because it, what you're describing in these particular examples, it sounds like one of the things that you have to deal with from time to time is people's own sense of validation. I'm choosing to deal with it, not having to deal with it. Well, and when I say ha I, I don't mean in a toil and drudgery sense. Yeah. I mean, in order to build the foundation that's going to get you from where you are to where you need to be, yeah. there are certain steps that you are required just out of the necessity of building a structure to accomplish. And right. one of those things is, it seems to me, you're, you're going to have to deal with issues of, of personal validation in people. Well, and this is true at any level, actually, because, you know, business, I've heard a phrase one time that says new level, new devil, because business is about growth. And so you have to grow yourself internally to be able to grow externally. And so to be able to grow your business, you have to grow. And that means letting go of limiting beliefs and sabotage patterns that happen so that you can create a new new patterns and move towards your vision. Um, and that vision becomes bigger than all the other stuff. And that's really the sort of reprogramming is making the vision bigger than all those beliefs that have been there. Um, and unpacking those enough to be able to do different actions. All right. So where did you learn how to break these things down like this? Mm -hmm. Th this isn't the kind of thing that you just wake up in the morning and you have a fully fleshed out plan of action. Not most days. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I learned Of course, once you buy that Corvette, <laughs> things are going to change right, for you. Right, right, right. Right in the Corvette. I'm not buying it. Um, so, um, yeah, so, you know, I started training as a, uh, as a coach in 2003 with an amazing woman named Martha Beck and she's written many books and she has a great distinction between your authentic self and your social self and your social self is the part of you that, uh, you've become to help appease others and fit into society with your family or friends, whatever. And your authentic self is who you really are in your core. So I love this distinction. And she's had a lot of other distinctions since then, but really it's about finding you, your path. Can you give me a, a hypothetical example of how those two things might be different? Um, so if somebody is unhappy and they're working in a cubicle job um, just to have a job to make you know their family happy, or they went into real estate to be practical, but they're not following their vision, um, then they, you know, say that the real estate market crashes and they get to have no job and they get to do whatever they want then because they followed the practical thing and it didn't work. And then they get to go do what they really wanted to do. So, you know, a lot of artists are following their, their authentic self. They are on their, the path they feel called to be on. The challenge oftentimes is that they haven't done the legwork to ground the other half of what a business is, which is, you know, marketing, sales, and financials. So I'm a bridge for that world. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm not going to be so crass as to ask you to give us a, you know, a 20-minute uh, counseling session here. But just to try to, to kind of make sense of this in my own mind, because you mentioned something earlier about marketing. 
that's one thing in the course of this podcast that I have personally, internally struggled with. Uh, I've engaged in the social media world and for about a good year or so was really uh, just generating content after content and, and trying to get that engagement, not just uh, post likes, but some actual audience engagement and trying to find ways to uh, entice people to interact more and, and have a little bit more purchase in in what we're doing here. But I'll be perfectly honest, I don't know if it's a product of of my religious upbringing or the, the very conservative household that I was raised in, but I reached a point after about a year where I started feeling a bit self-conscious about marketing because there's a there's a thing in me that pushes back against any sense of feeling like I'm shouting, hey, everybody, look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Now, the, the home that I was raised in, I was always taught it's always better for someone else to toot your horn for you. You shouldn't toot your own horn. That's self-promoting in the negative sense mm. of the word, that that's egotistical, that that's brash, it's coarse, it's uncouth, it's it's very uncivilized. <laughs> so how how do you unpack and yeah. readjust a train of thought in a, a situation like that? How Great. do you approach that? I love this example. Um, so that is sometimes an issue for people like, oh, I don't want to brag or, you know, they'll talk about something, they'll say, oh, I don't want to brag. And I'm, I, I support honoring your accomplishments, you know, and honoring your contribution. So, um, in your case, you're, you're providing a voice for people. You're providing, um, a platform for people to, who are, you said, when you told me about this podcast at the beginning, who are often marginalized in, you know, in the musical field or whatever, who have a voice and you're helping them market. So, so really the reframe I would offer is to focus on that. You know, focus on your mission and your vision and let that be your fuel and let that be bigger than the fear of what people think or being afraid of being crass or being, you know, too, too, um, whatever you're judging yourself as, you know, because all judgments fear. So like if you find the fear underneath the judgment, then you can thank it for sharing and then focus on your vision. And that's really the thing that it comes down to all the time because it's, you know, life is not easy oftentimes. And so it's like, how do you actually keep going um, on this sort of warrior path of being an entrepreneur and putting things out there, you know, not being the big dog at the same time? Okay. That's interesting. Now, how did you come about to this line of work? You, you had to have kind of an interesting life path to bring you to the point where you said in 2003, you decided mm -hmm. to pursue coaching. Yeah. That's not it's something random. that, that many people, I, I remember career day in junior high school. <laughs> I remember the fireman. I remember the policeman. One year we even had a helicopter pilot fly a helicopter to our school. Nice. And he came in and talked, but I don't remember the life coach. I had never heard of life coaching until 2003. And I was actually <sighs> teaching English as a second language or as a foreign language in Honduras on an academic fellowship. And that was my first career was being, <laughs> Heather's giving me a really funky look right now. Well then. <laughs> no, 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 that, that's her normal look. Continue. So, so, um, 
so I was teaching English in Honduras and I was going to a conference in Costa Rica and I was at this airport and I randomly met this randomly quote unquote, met this woman who was a life coach. And I was like, I said, what's that? And she said, she said, I help people, I help make people's dreams come true. And I was like, that's a job. Oh my gosh. She's the fairy godmother. We all saw in Disney <laughs> movies. <laughs> So, what, so I, you're I, Santa Claus? No, 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 no. Yeah. So, so it was really a great seed for me because I was like, oh, because it was to me, it was the best part of teaching concentrated with all, all the baloney. So I got really excited about that. And so then a few months later, the I became a life The best part coach. of teaching without all the baloney. Yeah. That's it. She's the fairy godmother. Okay. <laughs> what do you, uh, okay. I want to back up on that statement right there. Yeah. What do you mean by that? It's the best part of teaching without all the so baloney. So teaching, the, the best part of teaching to me is helping people become themselves and helping them become them best, their best selves and helping them believe themselves, have capacity, learn how to learn all these things, all these skills they need. But you don't have to put up with the politics of teaching, the paperwork of teaching. The, the standardized testing of yeah, teaching. Yeah, any of that stuff, you know? <laughs> and so, um, and did I mention the politics of teaching and the, <laughs> and the paperwork of teaching? And so, Twice. like, yeah. yeah. So, so you know, it was, it was a seed that was planted in me. Um, and then I became a life coach. Okay, later. so how does one become a life coach? Uh, how, how do you... How do you market that? And if someone were to come up to you and say, well, what makes you qualified to be a life yeah. coach? So, yeah, well, I'm, I'm here and you're not. Some <laughs> people do it that way. Some people, especially if they have a certain thing that they want to offer people, they call mm -hmm. themselves a coach based on that certain thing they're teaching. Mm -hmm. um, I actually have two certifications for teaching. Um, for not for teaching, I have a master's degree for teaching. For teaching, I have for coaching, I have uh, the Martha Beck certification, and I have a, a best year yet certification. So that's okay, a, what what are those? Are those uh, like sanctioning trainings. bodies or? Um, there's yeah, so there are there are like national and international coaching certification pr processes, and there are schools that are certified within those, um, and. Martha Beck and Jenny Ditzler, who's the co best year yet coach, were both pioneers in the coaching field. They both have been coaches for over 25 years. So they were like on the ground running before it was a thing. Um, okay. And Martha, Martha Beck is really about, um, she's about like more of a spiritual path, like following your North Star, your guidance, you know, your inner voice, those kind of things. And Jenny Ditzler is like, what are your goals? How do you get there? So I think it's a great balance. So for the me. first one's very kind of Zen and the art of life coaching, yeah, kind of thing. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. I got you. Yeah, and the second one is like let's nail this down, and let's break it down in a way that is um, it's from a deep part of you. It's not just like from your head, you know. So it's it's a great balance because I I believe in both of those perspectives, and I think it takes both of those perspectives to make stuff happen. Do you have people? come up to you and say, I'm doing this artistic thing here, but I'm, I'm really thinking that maybe that's not the direction I should go. Yeah. How, how do you help people discover the direction that they should go? Well, I don't believe in should. So I, I believe in, yeah, I'm a word person. So like the have to and the should are like red flags for me for, for, for my own like language and understanding of things. Um, and so 
um, for for the um, you know, I really feel like people know what they want deep inside, and so um, sometimes people ha- need to let go of making money at it. Honestly, like I had a client one time who wanted to. She was doing this really complex woodwork that took many, many, many hours. Um, and the price point she would need to charge to do that was way outside the market that's already successful. And so when you want to sell something that people like, but you can't make a living doing it because the profit margin is not big enough, it's not the way to make money. Mm-hmm. So I start with, you know, I have a program that's starting in May called the Money Bootcamp for Artists, Creatives, and Rebels. And it's about helping people get empowered around money first and then deciding what they're going to do to make money. Because having the tools, the perceptions about money and reframing all that and having the tools they need to actually manage money and feel confident with money and trust themselves and break their sabotage patterns around money comes first. Because if they don't have that, it doesn't matter what you do. Because if you come from scarcity, you're going to create more scarcity. Okay, so let me try to repeat back what I'm hearing and you tell me if I'm hearing it correctly. It sounds like I asked the question, how do you help someone to discover the artistic path that is most, most accurately them? I'm trying to find words that she can't push back <laughs> against here. I asked that question and it sounds like you're pushing back with you're asking the wrong question. You need to start from the other end and think of it more from a sustainability stand. First, we need to get you sustainable and then we can find things that you enjoy doing that will fit into that that mold of sustainability. Am yeah. I hearing you correctly? Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. I like that that frame. I mean, for a lot of people who actually work with me as private clients already have established businesses they want to take to the next level. So they they have a business, they're kind of stuck. Um, they they want sometimes they want to do more of one thing instead of another. So they like they've built a business <clears throat> with a bread and butter kind of thing, but now they want to branch out and do more of this thing because it's what their passion is. So it's like how to how to transition that and how to grow the business in a way that is more sustainable financially, that also gives them more of what they want to be doing. And that might be you know there's a lot of ways to do that. It could be hiring people. It could be a lot of different things. Um, yeah, I like that distinction though, that, you know, to become sustainable. Because if, if somebody if somebody is in survival mode, they may not be my client either. Because they need to be able to have a they need to have a vision that they're working toward to have that fuel them. And if they're in survival mode, a lot of times people in survival mode don't have the vision. They're not in touch with that. Well, define what you mean by survival mode, because I, I don't think I'm tracking yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, survival Cause mode. Because it, yeah. it sounds to me like you just said I don't want to deal with the kind of people that I just told you I'm here to help. No, I'm no. <laughs> so survival. That, mode, that's what I heard. Uh, I'll put it that way. I'm not saying yeah, that's no what worries. you said, but that's, that's the way it, it registered in my brain. So survival mode is when somebody is so focused on their basic needs, they don't have it and they're not in touch with their vision and they don't know what they want. Um, so a step above that would be somebody who knows what they want and they want to make it happen, and they're ready to fuel that, and they're ready to put, to change. So it, it sounds like you're saying for a, kind of the, the, 
the bare minimum requirement that you need in a client is a certain level of self-awareness. Yeah, absolutely. Somebody who has the ability to say, I don't know what I don't know. Yeah. Am I hearing you correctly? Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay. So how do you, if you have someone that hasn't met that minimum bar, let's call it, Mm -hmm. how do you turn that person away? Because you don't seem to me like someone who is particularly cold and brutal. No, but I I know where I can help people and I want to set myself up for success and them up for success. So if somebody comes to me and they're in survival mode so far that they don't have the capacity to show up for a, a coaching call on time or they're they're not stable enough to be able to grow because growth takes, you know, I know Maslow's hierarchy to grow. You need to be at a certain level of stability. And so, um, you know, so that means you and, and you and you likely have a vision if you're ready to, to invest in something, time and money to make a change. Um so, so that's what I'm looking for it are people who are like, I am ready for change. I want to grow. I have this vision. I feel this purpose inside of me and I'm ready to make it happen. And I know that I need support to do it because it's not happening without that. So how do people, how do people come to you? I mean, yeah. you, you don't have a giant billboard on the side of the interstate. No. So how people have to come to you. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing you don't go out knocking on people's doors saying, no. hi, I'm Jenner. You so how do I market? Right. Um, so I'm involved in the creative community in Asheville, which is a very large community. I do workshops there. I do webinars online to market to a broader audience. Mm-hmm. And um, I have a lot of referrals from former clients that come to me. So that's primarily how I get people. And then I have I so have old fashioned networking. Is yeah, they would call absolutely. It. Okay. Yeah. So tell me a success story. A success story. Yes. So um, let's see here. Do you want to specifically a creative person? I don't know. Whatever success story comes to your mind. So yeah, tell me I, something that sticks out to you. One of my favorite stories is a is a client who um, there's a testimonial on my website from her, and she is a, a therapist, and she created a full-time practice in six months and then expanded her practice um, beyond that to create a center for people. And in the same year, she got out of debt, bought a house. <laughs> like she was like a rock star <clears throat> client. So she's very Dave Ramsey. <laughs> yeah, okay. maybe in some ways. Okay. Um, and so, so, you know, I feel like that's, you know, that's like the rock star person, the person who's like, I'm ready. I know what my mission is. I'm ready to do this, you know? Um, and then there are other stories of people who, um, who have breakthroughs around their perception of how things work and they start making more money. Um, because they, they raise their prices, for example, um, and they are willing to earn what they, what they deserve. Um, and they change the relationship with sales so that, they are um, not looking at sales as bad and they're actually looking at it as offering the beauty of what they give the world to people. So they're looking at it as service. And it has to be scary for them if it's a client-based business, though, because the first thing I hear from people when they talk about raising their prices is, oh, but people are going to give me pushback and I'm going to lose clients. Sometimes that happens, but sometimes people say, oh, it's about time Ah. because they get the value that person's giving them 
And I just coached somebody to raise their prices recently, actually. Um, and, and yeah, more than one person. And, and they both raised their prices and they both got good feedback from people. Okay. How do you convince someone to do that who has not already done it? Because you're, you're back to dealing with fundamental issues of self-perception mm -hmm. and, and validation and right. things like that. And I'm looking at Madam Producer here. I'm thinking back to early years in our marriage. I used to say to her frequently that she didn't charge enough for her uh, for her wedding photography mm. work that she did. Mm -hmm. Now, how do you? But I was unsuccessful in getting her to change her her perceptions yeah. of that. It may may or may not have had anything to do with me having the subtlety of a board upside your head. <laughs> That may or may not have been a factor, but how, yeah, how do you get somebody to change something that's yeah, so deeply, absolutely, personally mm -hmm. fundamental? You know, you're, you're talking about a person's self-perception, convincing someone you're worth more than this. Absolutely. You need to be charging more. So um, I make them cry. <laughs> Because I help people get in touch with okay, their Oprah. I help them get in touch with their vision so deeply that they get the impact that it has on people, and then they get the they get the impact that having that vision and doing that vision has on their life, and that if they don't charge enough, they can't do it. If you don't charge enough, you can't do it. You're going to get go back to your job that you had before. Because if you don't charge what you're worth and what the market value will bear, that combination, then you end up uh, a failed entrepreneur. And so, you know, and there's a there's an interesting line too with, um, you know, if you if you charge if you charge too little, uh, you feel resentful and you don't make enough money to do what you need to do. Um, and as entrepreneurs, oftentimes people, people think, oh, it's this much per hour, therefore blah, blah, blah. But, you know, entrepreneurs sometimes, I, there have been years when I was a sole proprietor where I paid 34% of my income, my net income into taxes. So, you know, I think people, and that's another reason why you need to get clear on the financial piece, to get, to get the reality check of what does this look like if I make you know, $50 an hour, $100 an hour, whatever, what does that look like? You don't get much of that, actually, <laughs> when it comes down to it. Mm -hmm. Between overhead and um, materials or cost of goods or other expenses and then taxes, you're kind of screwed. And if you don't account for all that and charge really what you need to charge to make a living and break down the numbers, um, there was this a business counselor I went to many years ago when I first started, and he talked about, how this person came to him and wanted to start a coffee shop. And he was like, yeah, I want to make this much money, you know, in this business. And, and he was like, okay. Wait, I've heard this joke. How do you make a million dollars in the coffee shop business? Start with $2 million. Yeah. 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 So it's like, you know, they, they, they actually did the numbers and he was like, never mind, you know? And so sometimes that reality check is the best thing that I can give somebody too. It's like, Oh, okay. I, I, I feel free now. Because I don't want to do a living at that because this is what it would take. So instead, I'm going to make that a hobby and I'm going to do this. And that's going to feed me and feed my soul. And I'm not going to beat myself up anymore because I'm not doing the thing I think I should be doing because it's not lucrative. And so sometimes that's the, that's the, the hard thing to swallow is that, you know, it's not going to be lucrative. Because it really is a numbers game. So and you're that's really what talking is. about sometimes you just have to break the cycle. 
Yeah. You know, really hard. And sometimes when people when people look at the reality and they they get for their business or their vision, you are here on the map and then this is where you want to go, is that feasible? Can you actually can you actually go from here to there from where you are based on the what you're willing to do and your current resources and how much time you have or the support you have or whatever? And, and, you know, if, if it's feasible, what would you need to make that happen? Like for me, I know I need to coach, excuse me, all the time. Mm -hmm. So, um, I know I need to coach. And so I've been, I've been working on a book for many years, not many years, a few years. And the year that I hired a coach and I talked to her every two weeks was the year I wrote my freaking draft. Um, and it wouldn't have happened if I didn't have that. And I know that about myself. So people work differently. So, so you why, get to decide why, what, what works you, for you. You just needed that daily push. You, you just needed to be constantly engaged. It's it's a combination for me of I'm a verbal processor. So I need to be able to talk things through and figure things out and figure out what's next instead of getting bogged down by what's in my head. So instead of like, oh, you know, I don't know this or I don't know how to organize that or blah, blah, blah. And then this person who's an expert, she's written multiple books. She wrote a book on writing a book. And so she knows what she's doing. And so she, she gave me tips that kind of blew my mind sometimes and perceptions that blew my mind. Like one was, um, you know, you edit last, which is not, you know, kind of common sense, but I was an English teacher and I have two degrees in English. So for me, I, it's hard for me just to like editing as you go. Oh my God. Like, you know, it's so hard for me not to figure out the big picture and the structure and all these things, but I just need to like write the freaking message, you know, you need to kind of stream of conscience, consciousness mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. and then fine tune later. Yeah. And get, and for me, I'll get support to do that. Like I'll hire editors because that's the way I roll. You you said you're a verbal processor. Mm -hmm. I like that. Apparently, that's what I am. And all these years, I thought I just don't know when to shut up. <laughs> or you're just talking to yourself. That too. <laughs> all right. So what is what is the, the motivator for you in doing this? Because it sounds like you, are, you have chosen a, a career path for yourself that involves a lot of giving of yourself. Mm. And you are not an infinite resource. Right. So there has to be some payoff yeah. for you that's recharging your batteries here. Yeah. What's what's the pay dirt for you? You know, there's a lot of pay dirt. And I, I, I tell you, when I started, you know, I have a jewelry design business, which is where you met me in mm-hmm. my studio. Um, and I started doing the coaching again for this audience when I realized I heard before years ago from mentors that the thing that pisses you off the most is your passion and your purpose. And what pisses me off the most is when I hear artists talking about being poor and they can't and whatever. So my mission is to help empower those who want to be empowered, who want to be able to do the life they want to live and to create like tons of people who are, independent and empowered and making an impact um, to just, you know, like ripple out into the world. Because I feel like when people are uh, in their passion and in their purpose, they're happier. And, you know, why not? Okay. You said the thing that pisses you off is the thing that you're passionate about? Yeah. I get that. Yeah? Yeah. And in what way? Because why did I start the radio station and this show? I was pissed off that all the radio stations that you hear on the radio and they couldn't hear a single artist in this area. 
and there were hundreds and hundreds of them all over the place. Mm-hmm. They were putting out albums and they were playing all over in concerts and they had huge followings and maybe five of them were getting out of this area yeah. and I could hear them on the radio stations, maybe five. And that was in the last 50 years. And I thought, well, now wait a minute. <laughs> Why can't I start a radio station? Why can't I start a show and make them heard all over the country? And then it ended up being all over the world. There has to be something more to your comment about the thing that pisses you off mm-hmm. is what you're passionate about because, well, two things here. One of them is meant to be funny. The other one isn't. Okay. Uh, one thing that really pisses me off is people who can't freaking drive. <laughs> Is this why you're on a motorcycle? But I don't know that I don't know that that's really my passion is to teach people how to drive. I just want to get yeah, away from them. I don't them. see that. But all right, now and on a more personal level, the thing that does really get to me at a fundamental heartfelt level is the lack of the increasing lack of civility in our our nation's culture, Mm -hmm. that things are becoming so divisive Mm -hmm. and that uh, it seems with each passing year, what I observe is that people are becoming more and more insular and screw you, me first, and that kind of thing. And that goes so hard against my own personal ethos is that we're here to serve, not to be served. Mm-hmm. So what do you do with that? Yeah, um, I feel like, you know, what you're doing in my mind is you're creating community as well because you're bringing these people into your, you know, the kitchen, kitchen. <laughs> the house of kitchen. <laughs> the house of kitchen dining table. And 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 you're, you're creating community because you're like giving, you know, and a people an opportunity to be heard and to connect with each other. And for me, that's also, that's why I'm creating programs, group community programs for people that are affordable for people so that they can actually be in a community of people talking about business and money. People don't talk about money enough. And I believe that talking about money is one of the ways to actually heal our money stuff because money stuff is the cog in the wheel that keeps us from playing a bigger game. And the money excuse, if I don't have the money, is a way to play small in life. And it's a way to um, play small and be fighting on Facebook instead of actually making an impact in the world. So I feel like, you know, what we're both doing in building community is helping that. Not everybody can be famous, though. I, I, I know that sounds silly. What I mean by that is... I know what I want to say. Let me see if I can figure out a way to muck through it here. If everybody lived their dream, there wouldn't be garbage men. There How do wouldn't you know? there wouldn't be uh wastewater treatment plant workers. How do you know? Because I've been to a wastewater <laughs> treatment plant. Nobody dreams about working there, Jen. Um is there the notion of of following your dream, however you want to define that? Mm-hmm. Is that truly a sustainable uh, endeavor for all people? I mean, I because think- there there are certain things, and, and 
I'm not arguing with you. I'm, I'm yeah, trying to process absolutely. this in my mind. There are certain things in the function of polite society that are just by their very existence, they're, they're messy, they're dirty, they're unpleasant to deal with. But that's part of life is dealing with those things, mm -hmm. you know, that, that that's part of the operation of polite society. You know, infrastructure work is, is not glamorous. Not everybody can be a rock star. Some people can't play instruments. Mm -hmm. So is the, and this is something I've really been pondering in my own mind because there's, there's a, there's a battle in my mind, and I think it's because I'm a Gemini. <laughs> There's a battle in my mind between the, the modern, shall we call it the enlightened sense of, of be your authentic self, chase your dream, follow your passion, et cetera, et cetera. The things that are, are being espoused in popular culture in 2019 versus the the time-tested classics in the house that I was raised in, you know, hard, hard work, you know, hard day in, day out, unceasing, sometimes back-breaking work that one stone at a time builds a pyramid. Mm -hmm. And it it seems in my mind that there's this chasm between these two things that somewhere along the way, a, a, a rift developed in between them where these two worlds seem to be irreconcilable. Hmm. Do you, I, I think, do you think that, that the following your dream, following your passion approach is appropriate for all people? I, I, I mean, I feel like we're doing black and white or polarity thinking here. Well, again, so. I'm a Gemini. <laughs> so, and I, I am a very black and white person by, and I'll admit that Madam Producer, yeah. am I lying? No, you're not lying. Okay. Yeah. So I feel like. So challenge my yeah, thinking yeah. here. So I love the quote by um, Joseph Campbell about follow your bliss, but he doesn't say follow your bliss and it'll be easy. He's, and, and I say, follow your bliss and it will be a freaking pain in the ass. It will challenge you to grow like no other thing in your entire life. And you will have to become someone new to make that vision happen. I don't think that's for everybody. Define bliss because you say bliss. I think things that are more like euphoria. <laughs> well, I think, I think there he's talking. I, I'm talking about passion and following your heart. Like for me, when I started my jewelry, my jewelry business, mm -hmm. um, it was not practical. It was, I, I basically quit teaching to make jewelry and, um, and it wasn't practical, but I felt so compelled. Like it was in me to make this jewelry, to create this business and it was not practical, but it was, I felt that call so deeply and I made it happen. I had to learn a lot and grow a lot and hit a lot of bottoms and lots of ways to make that happen and to create that. Um, and I did it and I'm grateful and I still love it most days. <laughs> and it's like, you know, there's no, there's no happily ever after, you know, and actually my, I'm a, I changed my business structure last year and my business is an S corp now. And my slow, my, my business name is a happily ever now incorporated 
because I see it like there is no happily ever after. It's a linear way of thinking where you're going to get somewhere and you're never there because no matter where you are, you're still going to grow. You're still going to be learning. You're still going to be having to you know, clean up your dog's poop. Like there's no level of, you know, there to get to. So it's just a matter of what do you want to do with the time that you have and what do you want to pursue? And um, if it's worth it to you, then go for it. Why not? You I have never an example you for you. I have a really good example for you. Mike Rowe. What, do you, what his, about him? His dream could not have been to get in some of the filthiest, nastiest, smelling, hottest, most degrading muck you've seen ever. That could not have been his dream. But his dream, I'll bet you money, was being on TV and being a TV star. I'll bet you money that was what he dreamed of. It's what he went to school for. He was on QVC. But what made him a star? Not selling weird printers in the middle of the night on QVC. It was being dirty jobs. And also knowing how to inform and entertain people about a subject that they might not understand or want to know. Yeah. And I mean, they they made him go down in the muck. He was not the guy who was clean saying, look at that guy over there getting in the dog poo. I mean, he was down in the muck, you know, just filthy, disgusting. But that could not have been his dream. But in order to make it happen, that's what he had to do. And it made him a star. But his passion is also telling others about how do you make a living if you are not the most educated person? That's his passion. That's what pissed him off. You don't have to have a four-year degree. You don't have to be the most educated Ivy Leaguer. And that's, He's the perfect example. And that's a big voice right now because, mm-hmm. you know, I heard a stat recently that said, it might even been a meme with him on it, that said that, and he's an advocate now. Mm-hmm. He's an advocate for vocational training. Mm-hmm. And that's a big deal because people learn differently. And, you know, people, there's people in my family that I love that they are geniuses when it comes to mechanical things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was not my path and that's theirs. And I totally respect it. Yeah. I mean, I was just, he's the best example that I think follows both sides of this. Mm. I mean, I just can't imagine anybody thinking wastewater treatment. I think I'll be that when I grow up. Nobody. I mean, that person did not come to my school when (laughs) on career day, that person, the fireman came, the astronaut came, you know, like I said, the big, Ooh, I want to do that. Those people came. The person who shovels poo in the manure pile, that person did not come, you know. So, But when I think of the person who did both and made it work for him, he's the guy I think of. And a lot of times I believe that people's passion and heart is where their life experiences meet. Like for me, I, I, I felt bankruptcy. I was a failed entrepreneur. I was a teacher. I am a life coach. I'm a craftsperson. And, you know, my business now is combining all those things. All my hard lessons, all the skills I've gained from all these different things. And it's, you know, it's like who I've become. And a lot of times people step into their passion and their heart. And it is a unique combination of things that's not anybody else. And that uniqueness is what propels them into, um, into not stardom necessarily, but sometimes it is. So does the, does the, does the passion create the opportunity or do opportunities create passion? Say it again. Do opportunities create passion or does passion create opportunity? Yeah. 
Um, it's another either or question. Um, <laughs> no, I don't see it as either to the left or to the yeah, right. Yeah. I, I'm seeing more of a like a Venn diagram, a circular. Yeah, yeah. There's a great quote that says, um, you know, opportunity is or luck is opportunity meeting preparation, and that's what I believe. That once you you prepare, you do the groundwork, you figure out what it is, you figure out what you're offering to who. And you do all the things you can do within your power, and then you seek opportunities and you take action to cultivate opportunities. And then when the when the when you get contacted to have a huge order for whatever, then you can say yes. Well, either I wasn't very good at asking my question, or mm. or your answer went past me because I've still got a question mark in my head here. Mm. Uh, I'm just trying to figure out the the relationship between passion, drive, you know, however you want to define that internally and the the opportunities to express that. I, are yeah. does does having the passion do you have to figure out what your you're passionate about before you can discover the opportunities mm. to to indulge that, I guess, for lack of a better word? Or do you just start exposing yourself to the various opportunities that life has to offer, and in time you'll discover what it is that you're passionate about? Yes. Either one of those can work. Yeah? Yeah. That sounded like a Sean answer. Yes. Sean just answered, you, answered you himself. Just, all of you, hush. Oh, no. No. Not leaving this alone. I'm sorry. I thought that was what you Yes. Yeah. This, it could go either way. Absolutely. I, I, I go ahead. I feel like this is all being turned. My words are being used against me, and I don't like this. I know. I just think she's a lot like you in a lot of ways. <laughs> I like this philosophy. This is great. It's a great question. Thank you. Um, no, the the reason that I asked was it just put me in mind of years ago. I remember listening to a, a preacher who had come to our church. This was up in Michigan, and I remember him talking about people uh, trying to figure out what roles they could fill within their their home church. Hmm. You know, whether it's working in the kitchen, working in the daycare, working in the youth ministry, you know, whatever. What's their gift? Exactly. You know, he was talking about spiritual gifts and the use thereof. And I remember he was a, a very animated Baptist preacher. And he was standing up there at the pulpit just kind of thundering away. Uh, people come up to me all the time and they say, Pastor, what should I be doing in the church? And I would tell them, you're asking the wrong question. Brother, you should just go ahead and start doing in the church. And then in a couple years from now, turn around and look where your feet have taken you. I remember that. You remember that guy? That's great. Yes, I do. Is that a good invitation? Oh, he was great. <laughs> I don't know why all of this conversation put me in the mind of that. And that's why I was asking you, 
what it, it's a chicken egg argument. You know, what which one comes first or do they have to work in tandem? I think it depends on who you are. Some people know what they want. If you know what you want, start doing it. If you don't know what you want, start doing stuff that is in your face that's right in front of you and see what happens. So the key is start doing. Yeah. And there's a great quote by Don Miguel Ruiz that says, if you don't know which path to take, take both. So you take both it's interesting. and you see which one becomes clear or which one becomes um, more compelling. Then again, who was the author who said uh, two, two paths diverged in the woods? I took the road less traveled. Was it your mother said you can't steer a parked car? Well, she's not here right now. Uh, Frost? Uh, yeah, that's it. That's yeah. it. Go, Ashley. Yeah. All right. So we got to wrap this up here because I promised Jen I wouldn't keep her up past her bedtime. She has to drive back. Yes. Oh, yeah. And I got to get up at zero dark 30 again tomorrow morning. <laughs> so, all right. How do people... Find you? Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> How do people find you, Jen? My website's a great place to start. It's J E N A L Y coaching.com. So Jen coaching.com. Okay. And I offer everybody a free gift. It's the Money Manifesto for artists, creatives, and rebels. And I have webinars that are free as well. The and Money Manifesto is what, like a white paper? Uh, it's not white, it's very colorful, actually. No, no, I mean, you, you know what a white paper is? <laughs> I'm not sure. You never heard of that phrase before? No, it's like, uh, it's kind of like the modern day office equivalent of like having a pamphlet, uh, you know, short, mm. just, you know, one, two, maybe three pages. Uh, this is just, just a, one page, beautiful graphics of phrases to help get people out of scarcity into prosperity mindset um, that are specifically for creative entrepreneurs. Oh, okay. Yeah. And they can get that by going to Jen Ailey coaching. That's J E N A L Y coaching.com yes and i also okay. offer a consultation as well oh so okay that's and all the, on the website the contact information is there mm -hmm. on the website okay and uh are you on the social medias <laughs> i'm all? on all the social medias on the interweb yes i am <laughs> and that's jen Ailey coaching on instagram facebook Pretty we have everywhere. a friend of the show who bristles and grinds her teeth regularly <laughs> at the unnecessary use of definite articles Teacher. on this show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, she's a, a, a professor de Francais, and it just drives her crazy whenever I use or overuse indefinite articles. So <laughs> that's, that's why I asked if you were on the social media. Yeah, I'm on the Facebook interweb. and the internet and uh, excellent. The Twitter. And, the and people can <laughs> find you by by looking up Jen Ailey Coaching. Yeah, you if you said? type in Jen Ailey Asheville, you'll find me too, my jewelry site as well. Oh, okay. And the name of the, what's the name of your jewelry business? It's jenaileydesigns.com. Okay. Or Jen Ailey, Jen Ailey Designs. Okay. Yeah. So basically, Jen Ailey, insert noun here, mm -hmm. is going to find you something. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And the lady you're looking for, in case there's more than one Jen Ailey, look for the very lovely blonde haired one. Thank you. Okay. Uh, probably with a picture of a Corvette here soon. <laughs> so, all right. Any parting thoughts, anybody? I think Anything? this has been interesting. Yeah, there's, this is different. Uh, there's even, uh, well, that was the reason that I wanted Jen to be a guest on the show here is because 
I think that there is a lot that Jen offers that can be of use to some of the independent musicians, musicians yeah. that we deal with. Absolutely. There's a lot of musicians that could use a little and help. Yeah, this is useful to all sorts of people. Independent mm-hmm. musicians, uh, local artists, Us. podcast hosts. <laughs> You know, there's all sorts of people that could benefit from this. And plus, this was a cheap way for me to get her to come down and talk for an hour and 15 minutes about what she does and me not have to pay for it. Oh, my goodness. That's my website. You can can book an hour session with me on my website, at least to this point. Now, wow. how do you, do people have to come to you or do you... No, it's all virtual. You're, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So you're using the modern internets. Mm-hmm. Internets. Okay. She's totally old, old modern fashioned people. Too, yeah. <laughs> See, she's from Asheville. They do have internet in Asheville. She doesn't know. She said old-fashioned phone. You're not even old enough to know what an old-fashioned phone is. You know, right. phones well, used to be stuck to the wall. Oh, yeah. Yes. I remember that. And they days. used to have really long cords. You do not. I'm, I'm about to be 44. You are not yeah <laughs> balls be nice not you Jeez. not you be charlie because nice so am i <laughs> yeah you okay? be nice too charlie hmm? be nice because so am i you're what? nice about to be 44 really saturday yeah oh. her, yeah her birthday's coming oh, yes. We're really yeah close. yes we are <laughs> So he better be nice to both of us. No, no, no. What I'm getting, you're making me out like I'm a, a bastard coated bastard here. All I meant to say was she doesn't look old enough to be 44. That's all I was saying. Good for you. She, she looks like a, a young lass that has never seen a phone attached to a wall before. You're so sweet. Mm. So, all right, we're out of here. <laughs> no, we're not. We gotta, I got we one more thing. Okay, but. So, for those of you who have been waiting all winter long for Sugar Tip Moonshine to bring back your favorite barbecue food truck, you missed it on the 30th, but they will be back at the end of April. That's all I'm saying. Watch for Facebook to tell you when. Ooh. Woohoo. It's a big deal. Food and trucks. that's And that's Sugar Tip Moonshine Distillery. It is. Our title sponsor. They are. Yeah, mm-hmm. we got to mention their name a couple times. Got it. Keeps we love them, them. They love Just us. Say, three times, you might get something. <clears throat> Look, that dog won't hunt. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to get Cat to throw me some swag here. No, but if you stop happening. by when she's there, she'll give you lots of love and then. Well, she'll give me sugar, but she won't give me swag. <laughs> so, all right, we got to wrap it up here. So, on behalf of the unpaid and underappreciated staff of the Northwest Corner Podcast, I'm Sean. She's Ashley. Hi, everyone. Good she's night. She's Heather. Bye. She's Michelle. Bye. And our lovely guest, Miss Jen Ailey from Jen Ailey Coaching, coming all the way down from Parts Unknown. Audience, give her a nice round of applause. Thanks for having me. And uh, want to remind everybody, you can find us uh, all around the internet. Just search for Northwest Corner Podcast, and we're the first out of 13,000 results that come up on Facebook. So uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye.